0: There's kind of an interesting thing that's going on in our, our culture today. there been a lot of s- studies and polls and things done, and, and what they're finding is that people are going to church less and less. They're reading their Bibles less and less. They're praying less and less. And yet, in spite of all of that, what they're finding is that there is a greater belief in life after death today than there was many years ago when more people were going to church kind of a a paradox there isn't there and and it's really interesting even among atheists and agnostics people who don't believe in God almost a third of them believe that there is some kind of life after death and even six percent of them believe that there actually is a physical existence after death I found that that kind of interesting when I looked at some of those studies this week but the thing is that that most of us don't get our ideas about what life after death is like from the Bible. People get that from all kinds of other places. There are some people who get their idea of what life after death is like just based on their own wishes and desires. A lot of people out there that, that think, well, you know, God's such a loving God, He can't possibly send anyone to hell. And so everyone's going to end up in heaven. Everyone's going to end up with God. And that would seem nice, but that's not what the Bible teaches there are other people that, that get their ideas about what life after death is like from these near-death experiences that people have, right? You've read about a lot of those, and, and some of them, I don't really know. You read them, and they seem to kind of fit with Scripture, but a lot of them don't fit with the Bible at all. And so we know that those, those experiences, that we can't base what we know about heaven, what we know about life after death based on those. A lot of people, guess where they get their ideas? From movies and TVs. TV shows. And that's where you get all these kind of crazy ideas like like how many people, you know, do you know that say after a loved one dies, well, God must have needed another angel, right? But nobody becomes an angel when you die. We're going to see that clearly from the scriptures today. And the problem with all those other ways of thinking about life after death other than what we find in the scriptures is that they don't provide any hope for us. It's only what we see in the scriptures, the things that we're going to look at today, the, the view of what life after death is like from the, the view of the scriptures that really gives us hope. And so this morning we're going to look at a, a passage from 1 Thessalonians as we continue there that's going to reveal the, what life after death is like from God's perspective. And as we study that together this morning, I am convinced that once you fully understand what life is like for those who believe in Jesus Christ, who have put their faith in Him, that you can't help but live a life that's full of hope, regardless of what you might be going through right now. Because there's hope that we're going to find in this story this morning, or in this passage. Now, as we look at the passage this morning, I'm going to approach this passage the same way that Paul approached this topic when he wrote this letter. I'm going to do it from a pastoral perspective. I'm not going to get up here this morning and try to put all the, all the things that uh, revolve around the end times into some nice little chart, some chronological chart that puts everything in order. As, I, as I've shared with you before, I think there's enough mystery in the Scriptures about what's going to happen there that, that I can't do that anyway, to be real honest. And I'm skeptical of anyone who thinks that they can, to be real honest. So I'm not going to try to do that. There are a lot of different views out there about kind of the timing of some of these events. And I have my own opinions on those, but I'm not even going to share those with you this morning. I'm not going to try to convince you that mine are right and that yours are wrong. I'm not going to get into an argument with you about those things. Because like Paul, my my concern is pastoral. My concern is that you would understand the things that we're going to look at this morning and that as a result of that, you would have the kind of hope that you can't get anywhere else. So so understanding that, let's go ahead and look at the passage that we're going to look at this morning. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, this morning I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. But... We really see that that Paul kind of bookends this passage with words of encouragement because that's what he wants to do here. He wants to to encourage us with this passage here. And we can begin to kind of read through between the lines pretty easily and understand why it is that, that Paul is writing what he's writing here, can't we? Obviously, when he was there in Thessalonica, when he started the church, one of the things he taught them was the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ. That would have been something that would have been important, something that he would have passed on to them. And as we see here, God had revealed some things about that second coming directly to Paul, and so he passed those things on. And we know that Paul would have been one of those who who believed that the coming of Jesus was imminent, that it would happen in his lifetime. We know that because look what Paul writes in in verse 17 here. He writes this. He says, we, and that's the key word, who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. So Paul, by using the word we, he's indicating that he thinks he's going to still be alive when Jesus comes back again. And he would have certainly passed that idea on to the people there at Thessalonica. Well, here's what's happened. Between the time that he comes there and he establishes the church and the time that he's now writing this letter is that people in the church, they have started to pass away. And so the people that are left, the loved ones, they're, they're beginning to worry. Well, did they miss out on the second coming of Jesus? What's going to happen to them? And so Paul is going to write here and he's going he's to teach them about about the second coming, and he does it, as he says here, so that he can encourage, men, encourage them both in their own lives and to encourage them about what's going to happen with the loved ones who have passed away before them. And and so if we take this passage as a whole here, I think it's pretty, pretty easy for us to, to pick out the main idea that we want to look at this morning. And here's that idea that looking for longing for and living for the promised return of Jesus gives real hope. That's the only way that we can have real hope in this world is that we have to look for the return of Jesus. We have to long for that as we just sang about a few minutes ago. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come, and that we live according to the the promise of His return. Now, as I said before, I I can't tell you exactly how that's all going to play out. And we're going to find this morning that that understanding the things we're going to understand, that, that we don't have to know all the details, that all we have to really focus on is the promise that Jesus made that he's going to return. We need to focus on him and the fact that he's coming back. And frankly, all the other details that surround that really don't make a whole lot of difference. I'm convinced that when Jesus comes back again, that, that pretty much everyone is going to be just as surprised about how he does that than everyone was at his first coming. When almost all the people are missed it, because they had different expectations. I think we'll see some things. I think as things play out, that we'll begin to see that. But but I think there's enough mystery there, that that we just don't understand how it's going to happen. And so this morning, um, what we need to do is we need to look together at at kind of how this is going to play out and the process here that that God is going to, uh, to do to to do to carry these things out and to and to bring his his death. Now we we tend to think that our culture is so much different than the culture back then but you know they were dealing with the same doubts about life after death as we were. As a matter of fact the Greeks they they thought they thought Paul was crazy when he starts pre- preaching about the resurrection cuz they thought being released from the body was the best thing that could happen to them. And we know that a lot of the Jews that that when Paul begins to preach about the resurrection, they're not with that either, even though the Old Testament clearly taught about a resurrection. As a matter of fact, there in Thessalonica, there's a, there was an inscription so that some archaeologists found that read like this, after death, no reviving, after the grave, no meeting again. They, they didn't believe that in any way, shape, or form there was going to be a resurrection. So they're thinking, Paul, you're crazy here. But Paul's not crazy. And the things that we're going to learn this morning are the things that we need to understand so that, that, that we can have the kind of hope that Paul wants us to have. In order to do that, though, I need, to, I need to share some things about the way that God created man that are going to be really key to helping us understand this passage this morning. A lot of this will be review for some of you, but maybe for some of you it'll, it, it'll be some new information. Now, we know that God created man, when God created man, He created man with three parts. We have a physical body, we have a soul, and a spirit. We have one physical part, our body, that we can touch and feel, that lives physically in this world, and we have these two immaterial parts, our soul and our spirit, and in some places in the Bible don't even distinguish between the two. They'll, they'll use the word soul to talk about both of them. But there is a difference there. Are, we could think of our soul as being kind of equivalent to our mind. It's the place of our will, the place of our intellect, the place of our emotions. And then the spirit, it's that place deep inside with us where we commune with God, where our Holy Spirit interacts with, or where the Holy Spirit interacts with our human spirit there. And, and that's the way God created us. And, and all three of those parts are 100% man, right? They're who we are. We're, we're all those things together. And it's not surprising that God made us that way because the Bible says we are made in the image of God. And if you think about God, God's nature is exactly like a human being, right? God has one material person in the, in the Trinity, Jesus Christ. He physically came to this earth. He put on a body of flesh and two spirit persons, or two spirit beings, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And all three of those people, they're they're individual people, but together they make up one God. God the Father is 100% God. God the Son is 100% God. God the Holy Spirit is 100% God. And that corresponds exactly to the way that God created us. But that wasn't enough. God wanted us to understand that. So when he gave Moses the instructions for building the tabernacle, God designed the tabernacle in a way that it would also be a representation of the way that God created us. Because guess what? The tabernacle also has three main parts. There's some other ones, but three main parts. There's the outer court that houses everything. That's where, where everyone could go into if you were a Jew. There's the holy place inside of there. And then within that, there's the holy of holies, that place where only the high priest could go once a year. And how do I know that this is a picture of what our bodies are like and what Jesus came to do for us? The writer of Hebrews tells us that in the scriptures. Here's what what he writes. He says they, he's speaking of the the tabernacle and, and all the things that surround it. He says, they serve as a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying... See to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. And here's how we know it pertains to Christ and what he does for us. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. So we have this picture. We have this picture in God himself. We have this picture in the tabernacle that points to the fact that man has these three separate parts of who we are and that's going to be really important now as we begin to look at this process that paul lays out for us here in this passage and in some of his other writings as we'll see in just a moment so here's the process here's what happens to someone who is a a follower of jesus christ a disciple of jesus christ someone who has put their their faith in him the first thing that happens here is it tells us that man sleeps man sleeps And there's some things about sleep here that are important. I mean, think about it. When you go to sleep, you expect that you're going to wake up again, right? That's the expectation. Most of the time we do that until one final time in our life. And the idea here is that when a man dies, it's only temporary. That we can expect that we're going to wake up again. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he's talking about Lazarus, remember we looked at that example here maybe a month or two ago when Lazarus died and Jesus raised him. He says, oh, Lazarus is just asleep. It meant that he was dead, but but that was only a temporary thing. It's really interesting. This word here translated as sleep, the Greek word that's used there, is the same word that we get our English word cemetery from. And the reason that we get that same word, that word for cemetery, is because The early Christians, they viewed a cemetery as just a place where the body would sleep and that one day Jesus was going to raise it up again. That was their expectation, so that's why they called it a cemetery. It was really a, a dormitory or a sleeping room for the body. Now, this idea of sleep, it only pertains to the body. Only the body sleeps. And this is really important for us to understand, and we'll see why that is in just a second. Now, I need to tell you that there are some people out there that teach something that's called, quote, soul sleep. And what they teach is that when we die, our souls just kind of like are out there in limbo somewhere, kind of. You know, that they sleep too, but that's clearly not the case. Because the next thing that we see here in, the, in this process is that the soul and the spirit, that when we die, that they're immediately in the presence of Jesus. They're immediately in the presence of Jesus. They don't sleep. They don't float around there somewhere. And we know this because Jesus himself, his own words prove this. When Jesus was there on the cross, remember the thief that was next to him, what does Jesus say to him? He says to the thief, Truly I say to you, when? Today you'll be with me in paradise. In other words, that that he would immediately be with Jesus when he died. And we know that wasn't true of his body. His body was taken down off the cross and put in a tomb just like Jesus. So his body was not with Jesus, but his soul and his spirit were with him immediately upon death. We also know that from, from the writings of Paul. Paul in a couple of places makes this really clear. Here's what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be what? Away from the body and at home from the Lord. And what we see here is that death from a biblical perspective, death from a a perspective of both the Greeks and the Hebrews, that it wasn't a just ceasing to exist, it wasn't annihilation, that death is really this picture of a separation, that the body is separated from the soul and the spirit. That's what, that's what death means, the, the Greek word for death and the Hebrew word for death. They both indicate this, this separation. We see it here because we're away from body and home with the Lord. Our soul and the spirit are immediately with Jesus. We even see this in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes. It says this, and the dust returns to the earth, speaking of our body, as it was, and, and what? The spirit returns to God who gave it. And so there's this separation that happens at death. The body goes in the ground, it sleeps, the soul and the spirit immediately go to be with Jesus. One more, one more passage from Paul that shows this again from Philippians. We saw this here a while back. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and what? Be with Christ, for that is far better. Paul expected that the very moment that he died, that his soul and his spirit were going to be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Now, that's exciting, right? I think this is what most people refer to when they talk about going to heaven. It's kind of interesting that phrase is never really used in the Scripture, you will never ever find anyone talking about going to heaven. I think this is probably what most of us are talking about. It's this idea that as soon as we die, that our soul and our spirit will be in the, in the presence of Jesus Christ. And um, there's not much written in the Bible about, about this phase of our life, that what happens after we die. And, and I have my own personal opinion, and don't go anyone go saying this is what Pastor Pat said, because I'm going to tell you right, this is just my personal opinion. But I think that the moment we die, that our soul and our spirit are in the presence of Jesus, that it's going to seem to us almost instantaneous that we're going to progress to the next step in the process that we'll talk about in a moment. Think about it. Once we die, once we're in the presence of Jesus, we're no longer subject to space and time. And I think maybe that's why the Bible doesn't really deal with this because for most of us, it's just going to seem like we're there and then we move on to the next step. And that next step that we see here is that Jesus is going to descend from heaven. And what's really cool about it is it says Jesus himself will descend from heaven. He's not going to send an angel. He's not going to send a representative. He's going to come down Himself. That's why I said earlier, what we need to look forward to is Jesus Himself. It's not to some timeline or some set of circumstances or events. We need to be looking forward to Jesus descending from heaven Himself to come and to take those who belong to Him home to Him. That's pretty exciting. Huh? Jesus loves us so much, He's not going to send someone else. He's going to come for us. And then the next thing that happens after that, after Jesus descends from heaven, it says this, the next thing, that he brings with him the souls and the spirits of the disciples who have died. It says God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And this is a, a good, good time to be reminded that what we're talking about this morning, this only applies to those who are in Christ Jesus. This doesn't happen for Everyone. As a matter of fact, if you, if you don't belong to Jesus, we don't have time to talk about what your fate is, but I, just, I can tell you this, you don't want to face it. And so this only applies so for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes back, he's going to bring with him the souls and the spirits of the disciples who have died. We know it has to be the souls and the spirit because where are the bodies still? They're still in the ground, right? They're still sleeping at that point in time. So he's going he's to bring with him. Then the next thing it tells us, it tells us that, that the, uh, the bodies of the deceased disciples are going to rise up to meet Jesus. It says, "In the dead in Christ rise first. So these bodies that have been down in the ground, they've been decaying for sometimes for hundreds, maybe thousands of years, they're going to rise up to meet Jesus. Like I say, some of these bodies have been decaying for a long time. If you were to go, you probably couldn't find any sign of them. There have been some people who have been eaten alive by wild animals. There have been some Christians who have been burned alive. There are some people who have been cremated. And a lot of people asked me, well, how's Jesus going to put those bodies all back together? I don't, I don't have any doubt about that, that Jesus is going to do that. The God who created them out of nothing He's not going to have any problem at all finding every single molecule of our body and putting those bodies back together. And those bodies are going to rise up from the grave and they're going to, in the sky, they're going to be gathered together with the souls and the spirits that Jesus brings with him. And he tells us then the next thing that's going to happen, and that, that by the way, that would have been so encouraging to the people whose relatives and friends had died to know that those who had died in Christ, they were part of this whole process. They hadn't missed out. And then the disciples who are still on the earth, they're going to rise up to meet Jesus. Those who are still alive, they're going to rise up to meet Jesus. And And here they're still intact, their bodies, their souls, and spirits. So all of that together... Is They're going to rise up to meet Jesus. Not only that, he tells us that they're going to be gathered together with those that Jesus is bringing with him. That's going to be the greatest family reunion ever. That's going to be an amazing, amazing thing. And so now, those who have died, those who are still alive, we all have our bodies and our souls and our spirits together. This is where we get the idea of the rapture. You guys have probably heard that word right a lot. It's one of those words that's not found anywhere in the Bible. You won't find the word rapture, but here's where it comes from right here. The, the verb that's translated caught up here, it's the Greek verb harpazo. And it means to be seized or to be snatched away. And when the Bible was translated into Latin, they translated that as the Latin word raptus. And you can see how we get our English word rapture from that, even though you won't find that in most Bible translations. And the idea here, the idea of this rapture, this snatching away, it always involves a change in location. And so what Jesus says here, or what Paul says here, is that when Jesus comes, he's going to snatch us up. He's going to change our location from here on the earth to be with him in the sky and then the, the next thing that happens here we paul doesn't write about it here but he spends a lot of time writing about it in another one of his letters the letter that was the first letter that was sent to the church in corinth and in 1 corinthians chapter 15 we read about how jesus is going to take these physical bodies that we have here whether it's the ones that are alive or the ones he's brought up out of the grave and he's going to tra- he's going to tra- transform those into glorious resurrection bodies. We've talked about this before. Man, I, I'm looking forward to that, aren't you? And if you want to be encouraged this week, I want you to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and I want you to read about what those resurrection bodies are going to be like. We don't have time to look we, at this whole chapter this morning, so we're going to hit a highlight in just a moment. But these bodies are going to be amazing. They won't ever wear out. They won't get sick. They won't sin. And that's going to be an amazing thing for us to experience. And we know that that's part of this process that Paul's writing about here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 because both passages use a lot of the same language. Here's what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want you to notice the similarities between this passage and what we've been looking at here in 1 Thessalonians. He says, I tell you this, brothers, Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Does that sound familiar? But we, ought, we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, remember the trumpet call? In 1 Thessalonians, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. The dead will be raised, there it is again, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. And so we're going to get these amazing new bodies. We'll still have our soul and our spirit. We'll have these resurrection bodies that will never wear out. And one of the things I think people forget about this this eternal existence that we're going to talk about just in a moment, it's a physical existence. We're going to have physical bodies. If you go back and read some of the the passages, the prophecies, prophecies in Isaiah, we are going to get to enjoy some of the best meals that you've ever eaten in your life. We're going to get to enjoy the the glorious beauty of God's creation that he writes about in Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22, this new earth that he's going to create, the new Jerusalem, that'll be a physical place where we're we're going to live. We're going to get to enjoy all that God has created. We're going to learn from Jesus. We're going to serve Jesus. And best of all, we're going to be in the physical presence of Jesus. And not just for a little bit, but for eternity. And that leads us to kind of the last part of this process this morning. That Jesus' disciples will be with him forever. We will always be with the Lord. And so what that means is that as you live on this earth, as you have difficulties... And some of you I know are are dealing with some really tough things right now, but they're nothing compared to the eternity that we're going to spend in the presence of Jesus. So now do you understand why we said earlier that looking for and longing for and living for the promised return of Jesus is the only thing that can give us real hope in this world? No matter what you're going through right now, this is the way that you can have hope. But as I pointed out earlier, this is not for everyone. This is only for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and committed their lives to Him. And if you've done that, you should be rejoicing this morning. You should have amazing, unending hope in your life no matter what you're going through because this is what you have to look forward to. But if you haven't done that, like I said earlier, you don't want to experience what's going to happen when your life ends here on this earth. See, your life is not going to end. It will keep on going, but, but you will face eternal punishment, eternal judgment in a horrible place, separated from the presence of Jesus. So if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ alone, then, then my urgent prayer for you this morning is please do that today. Don't wait. None of us ever know when our life will come to an end here on earth. And the fact is, the very moment that that happens, it's going to be too late to change our mind. We have to make that decision now while we can. And so if you've never done that, please, please, please make sure you do that today. I want more than anything for you to experience this glorious future that we've been talking about this morning. Now, for those of you who have done that, here's what I would suggest is probably a practical application this morning. And that is whenever you get into a difficult time in your life, whenever you're struggling with someone or with some situation, with some difficulty, when you have problems in your relationships, you need to be reminded of this, right? So I'd suggest you go to your Bible and you bookmark some places like this passage right here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and the part we'll look at next week in chapter 5. That you go to Revelation chapter 21 and chapter 22 and you bookmark those. And when you get in a difficult place, you go back and you read that and you be reminded of the promises that Jesus has made to you and the promises of this eternal glory that far outweighs any of the present problems that we have here on this earth. If you do that, then you could, that's how you can have hope in the midst of this world. That's the only way that you can have hope. And it's my prayer that you would experience that. A lot of you are familiar with Dietrich Bonhoeffer as it got close to the end of the World War II. Matter of fact, only a a few days before the end of the war, he was uh, sentenced to die. And uh, as he was sent to the gallows, he, he turned to one of his fellow inmates and said these words, which are the last words that, that are recorded in his life. This is the end, but for me, the beginning of life. My prayer for all of us is that that would be our testimony too. Let's pray. Father, I'm so thankful for this passage, for the hope that it offers to everyone. And I want to pray, first of all, for those who have never put their faith in Jesus. Father, my heart breaks when I think about the eternity that they'll face. And Father, I I desire above anything else that they would have the hope that comes from from knowing that Jesus is coming again and that he wants to take them home to be with him for eternity, Father. And so I pray for them. I pray that you would draw them to you today. And I pray that as you do that, they would respond to you and that they would commit their lives to you. And for the rest of us who have already done that, Father, would you continually remind us about Jesus and the fact that he's coming again? Would you help us to long for that? Would you help us to live for that on a daily basis, Father? Knowing that at any time you could turn to your son and say, Son, it's time to go to the earth and to bring your bride home. So, Father, thank you for these encouraging words this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.